You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yo. Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, there we go. There we go. Cool. What did you get in your pack? <sighs> I got Capuzano. Uh, the, uh, what's his name? The Denver point guard? Yeah, and I got Austin Rivers. Those are your two playoff cards? Yeah. I got Derek Jones Jr. and Shake Milton. Oh, God. Yeah, were there any good ones, I'm wondering? <laughs> I think Nick got a Trey Young. Oh, really? Like in the 1,000. Oh, that's really good then. That's really, really good. Not too bad. All right, let's start the draft. <coughs> All right, so I'm going to start in a sec, right? Sounds good. Welcome to 95 to Infinity Podcast, where I'm joined with my Filipino brother, Christian Graffin, Mr. Fried Chicken and Spaghetti, the Prince of Jollibee himself. How you doing, my friend? You know me. That's that's what they call me, Mr. Jollibee, right? Do- Dr. Jollibee. Doctor Jollibee, correct, correct. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I still don't understand the concept of Jollibees, um, like pasta and chicken, um, and potatoes, and then macaroni and ice cream and whatever you want that's good. They just put it all together into one thing and just hope you like it. And it it's turns your, out, it's your, it's your all national the cuisine, love it. man. And and oh. Greg's national cuisine is um, goat and uh, red dawn racism. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? I'm late. What did I miss? Nothing. And that and that's how Greg comes in. Yeah, this is <laughs> gradually walks in. So the first thing I kind of want to discuss. Obviously, we're in the midst of the NBA conference finals. A lot to get to, a lot to unpackage. Obviously, there's also been a big, massive upheaval when it comes to coaching the NBA. A lot of names fired, a lot of new replacements. So we'll talk about that in a second. But the first thing I want to discuss. Obviously, a Raptors podcast. Pretty massive news for the Raptors. We were able to get the fourth overall pick. We jumped up three spots and entered the you know, the, the, the tier of the draft where, you know, there are discernible potential blue chip all-stars. So, you know, 
let's talk about the draft itself and how everything unfolded, starting off with the number one overall pick, which went to the Detroit Pistons. Um, the general consensus point is that they're going to take Cade Cunningham. Obviously, there's other prospects out there, like big man Evan Mobley, um, as well as uh, Green playing for, in the, for the Ignite in the G League as well. And obviously, we have Jalen Suggs for Gonzaga. But, Graf, I'll start off with you. You know, Detroit Pistons, based on their culture, based on their fit, Cade Cunningham, what are your feelings about this? Are they going to take Cade? Are they going to trade down? Or is Mobley a better fit for them? I think for Detroit, Cade Cunningham is sort of the perfect fit for them. Um, look, they're they're in a rebuilding uh, stage. And they got people that are – or players, I should say, that are – you know, they made the all-rookie team, like Sadiq Bey, um, even Killian Hayes is not we, – we don't really know what he brings to the table yet. And, again, Cade Cunningham is one of those players that we don't know what he's going to be in the NBA. We assume he's going to be a point guard, and he's going to be a 6'8", basically Ben Simmons who can shoot sort of point guard, seemingly, from what everyone says. And if you bring that to the Pistons team, then, again, I, I don't see why they would reach for Mobley here and not go for Cade or go for Jalen right. Green instead of Cade. Um, there's just no reason not to. Everything you'd want in Cade Cunningham – you, or sorry, in Jalen Green, you can get in Cade Cunningham as well. So, uh, Brad, if not I, more I, briefly, I want you to talk about Cade Cunningham just as a like a profile of a player. You know, for people who don't know Cade Cunningham, what should they expect out of him come year one? What are his primary skill set, and what would be a good player call for Cade Cunningham? Um, like I said, the best the best I can say is Ben Simmons with a jump shot. I mean, he's a little bit less athletic, but just even seeing him in the in the Final Four. Um, in March Madness. And again, I've been pretty big on Cade Cunningham all year. So this is a guy that's a, he's very, 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 very advanced in college. He almost looked bored at times when he was playing in college. That, that was the knock on him throughout the season. That's pretty much the only knock on him. He's 6'8". He's got a large wingspan. He can shoot the ball. He can create his own shot. His number one skill, I would say, is passing, um, specifically out of pick and rolls. Uh, he's, he's almost a LeBron or Luka type player that's that's the comp that he's getting right now just because of his vision as well as size maybe so, not as a great shot creator but i i do agree with you and again even if you look at his percentages his three-point percentage aren't the greatest but he also seems to be pretty clutch like he, he comes big uh in big moments he plays tons of minutes uh for oklahoma when he was playing there this year um and again he he's he, He's one of those players that at 6'8", like he just has so much raw potential that right. it would be almost foolish to... Mobley's in the same boat, but they don't really need a big man, in my well, that, opinion. As that's what I kind of want to get to. I'm going to throw this over to Greg. I know, Greg, you're not like the the nerd draft guys like Raft and I, but you know you do know what you're talking about, especially when it comes to the current iterations of rosters. You think of the Detroit Pistons. What would be more beneficial? A player like Cade Cunningham, you obviously heard the comps for Cade, or a big, a mobile guy like Evan Mobley, who is probably one of the few big men in, in the history of the game who has the athletic ability at 6'11 to guard point guards at the perimeter. Like, you know, you talk about Christian Wood on that team as well. Greg, what would you do with that first overall pick? Well, Christian Wood now plays for the Rockets, right? Like, they oh, like I forgot. Christian yeah, Wood yeah, yeah, Rockets. Sorry, because, my bad. I got, because I got they didn't want to... Well, because they didn't want to pay him, and they probably should have. But it's a it, it's an interesting question uh, because, like like you said, like Graf was saying, Cade Cunningham from a from a talent perspective is looked at as the consensus number one pick. But the thing is, with that roster, they just drafted a point guard. They made a trade to get Dennis, yeah, and they made a trade to get Dennis Smith Jr. as well, who didn't 
play all that much because they were trying to tank. Uh, but when he did play, they actually looked all right with him. Um, like I think that player, Dennis Smith Jr., has some more upside yet to be explored. So, and from if you know how much he loves, you know, defense, and like I could see uh, Detroit thinking, you know what, maybe uh, Evan Mobley is the better uh, uh, pick for us position-wise. But I think you know it's a it's an issue of FOMO, right? It's like fear of missing out, and I think that the pressure is going to be so big to draft Cunningham, I think that they'll be so worried, especially with big men. You never know, like, what can happen. They could have a little injury. It could be a Greg Oden situation. Um, so the, the the safer bet is to just go with the bigger hyped-up prospect. You know, so going down to number two, you know, I think it's a consensus lock that Kate Cunningham's going to go one. I know there are a few people out there with mocks that have mobile going one, but I think we can all agree that Cunningham realistically is going to be a Detroit Piston. Going to number two, there is a little bit of uncertainty at the two, at number two. You know, talk about the Houston Rockets. You know, there's multiple needs and fits. I just mentioned Christian Wood. You know, the guy they have mocked is Evan Mobley. But you got two guys, very lean. You know, we might have issues guarding the Joel Embiid and Nikolai Jokic of the world. Graf, is it far-fetched to say that Jalen Green stylistically might be a better fit for the Houston Rockets? Look, I, 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 I would say almost yes. But at the same time, did they not find that in Kevin Porter Jr.? Like, Kevin Porter Jr. was kind of like that for the Rockets this year in, in every sense. And I know there's this whole background of, you know, uh, the, the, the attitude and issues. But this guy came out this season putting up 40 points with, like, 15 rebounds in specific games. I don't know if they need Jalen Green, which is kind of like Kevin Porter, who's only 21 years old, right? So it would almost – I know what people are talking. Mobley might be redundant with Christian Wood. But I do think that – if they do believe in someone like Kevin Porter Jr., which they seemingly believe in more than someone like John Wall right now, mm-hmm. um, then I think Christian Wood at the four and Mobley at the five or vice versa, depending on the matchup, because Christian Wood right now is bigger, like physically bigger than him. I think that would work. I think that would work better. I don't think Jalen Green is the right call here for them, in my opinion. Well, that, be, that means that, you know, going down to Cleveland number three, let's say Mobley going two, Greg, you think about the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, drafted heavy on point guard the last couple of years in the guard position, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton. Looking at the two available guys, if they don't trade down, you know, would it be Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs? It would Who be do Green. You think is a better fit in that situation? And do you think even if they draft, let's say, Jalen Green, Colin Sexton becomes expendable at that point? Because it seems like, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way the team's kind of been evolving, especially last year, it seems like Darius Garland is the guy that they envision playing the point guard position down the road. Yeah. They more invested in him, let's say. Well, well, you're certainly right that they would probably want Mobley more than some than the uh, Suggs or Green. But as far as I understand, Green is, is more of a shooting guard and wing. So it's possible you could run lineups with Sexton, Garland, and Green uh what's green like six five maybe maybe he's a bit shorter actually but uh that could work the problem is you know uh with, 180 yeah uh but he's a he, he's a shooting guard primarily right like i wouldn't uh he he's he, he's not an nba yes. three um but cleveland is one of the teams that is rumored to be in the mix 
for some trades to, you know, to, to speed up their rebuild because they've been rebuilding since LeBron left. So they're one of these teams that apparently is, is, is open to trade talks right now because even Mobley, they have Jared Allen, who's that, a player that's yeah. ready to, he's ready to contribute right now. And right, but Allen and Mobley in the front court, like just based off the skill sets, in my opinion, would be a, a match made in heaven. Yeah, the, I haven't seen Mobley's perimeter game enough to say how he would because in the modern NBA, like you can't play twin towers if they don't have if one of them at least uh, isn't a spacer. So I'm not sure because I, I mean we know Allen's not a spacer; he's a rim runner. So if Mobley can provide some spacing, then yeah, that would be and and if he can be switchable onto smaller guards, then yeah, I mean that would be an amazing uh, defensive front line. All right, well. We got one to three established. Obviously, the one we want to talk about is number four, the Toronto Raptors. So we just kind of Green, Mobley, Cunningham off the board. You know, obviously, there's a lot of upside picks at number four. I'm going to take it right here. I think the Raptors 110% should be drafting Jalen Suggs. For me, Jalen Suggs is his comp would be John Wall with a jump shot. Worst case scenario, he's DeJounte Murray. You know, he's he's a tough on ball defender. He's got really fucking quick hands. Like, he's a franchise Florida general, in my opinion. And I think, you know, there's a lot of upside guys. There's Jonathan Kaminga, Scotty Barnes, even a guy like Davion Mitchell that are out there. But for me, you got to take, like, Jalen Suggs is the definition of a blue-chip prospect. And for me, with or without Kyle Lowry, he puts us immediately back into contention within year one. I think Jalen Suggs could be a guy that could be in conversation for rookie of the year. And I don't see the point of drafting anyone other than Jalen Suggs. Yeah, uh, so here's the only thing I'll say to that. You know, what What I was looking at this draft, and I was thinking, okay, best case scenario, if we can just move up into the top four. And at the time, I had Jalen Green as that fourth pick, and Jalen Suggs, because of the big, you know, uh, year he had in, in uh, college basketball, would be going number three. But more recent uh, <laughs> rankings have Green as maybe the second or third prospect. Meaning that, as you said, Suggs is most likely to still be on the board. And I mean, the only reason why Green to me was a, is a little more of a better fit is just because we need scoring. Like we need guys that that like we need a guy that that can create for himself. We need a, a guy to be that guy. Now that being said, Suggs is 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 a good scorer from what I saw in college basketball, and he's just a winner. Like he would fit our culture so well, mm-hmm. right? Like, like uh, him beside Van Vliet in in the backcourt, I think would just be an amazing fit. Uh, and I think, as you say, he would hit the ground running, and it would be the perfect scenario for him. Look, before I go into my, because uh, honestly, I do agree with you. If it if it shook out like that, and Suggs was the next best available, I do think the Raptors would pick him. Uh, I would too, because you're right. We don't know what's going to happen with Lowry, and regardless, almost of what happens with Lowry, it would almost be better if he came back a year just so that he could learn under him and still get that playing time. But Brandon, let me just quickly ask you: Do you still think that Suggs would be your number one pick if someone like say Mobley ended up sliding? No, I would 100,000% pick Mobley over Suggs. You know, Green and Suggs is a coin flip for me. 
But Mobley is our target. If there's anyone in this draft, realistically, that I think we should, we should go after or look at as a franchise building block, it's definitely Evan Mobley. You know, the versatility, the size, just what he brings to the table in combination of Nick Nurse's innovation as a coach and just, you know, Masai Jerry's ability to sort of look at the modern trends of the game, the similar roster, uh, paying heed to that trend. I think Mobley is the and perfect Graf, fit for any team in the league. Graf, I don't want to interrupt, but just to build off what Brandon said, imagine... So if we did try to move up and get him, or if he drops, right, Mobley, imagine our starting front court, Mobley, Siakam, and Ananobi. That is a nasty starting forward line. I don't Gary know Trent, if you can tell, but I really want Mobley. <laughs> that, that's, that's what I'm trying to, so Graf, I, to like, figure out here. Trade... Well, well, hold on. So if Cleveland really wants to trade away to win now, could we not do a sign-and-trade with, say, I don't know, Kyle Lowry or someone else that they might want. Like, I don't know, even like Bush. I don't know who, whoever they'd want. Like it depends. Well, it's, like it's, would, we, would we even trade up one slot or is that worth it? It's two spots. And the trade that would make sense to me would be trading. Like, let's say our first plus a lot of protected first and a second to move up two spots. I wouldn't want to include anyone in our roster. You know, I feel like if we get Evan Mobley next year, we're still going to be attention for the playoffs. We're not going to be like, you know, a bottom feeder in the NBA. And I think trading that lottery, like protected lottery pick in combination with the fourth overall pick and maybe a second might get it done and not having to include anyone on the roster. Or so a Boucher might player. be the guy that comes to mind if we're going to make a trade concerning, you know, Mobley and Boucher might kind of have – some redundancies based on their size and you know their offensive value but for me yeah. like you know that that makes most sense you know maybe a lot of protecting first because okay let's just go on the other side of the coin then because you're I, I agree with you i think again Suggs is the pick there um i think if we were to trade up i agree with everything you just said like i you know mobley would be the key target over green for me uh, i know greg kind of thinks the other way around but let's just go on the other side if let's just say we wanted to trade down and i don't know go down to like six or seven to get Scotty Barnes and then do the exact same thing you said, get a protected pick for next year in the 2022 draft, which is supposed to be pretty coveted. Is that something you'd also explore? No, because I don't think a guy like Jalen, especially of how great our team is, how good it's going to be in the future. You know, this season's an aberration playing in Tampa. I have no, you know, I have, I have no expectation this team is going to be the same next year. You know, I think especially no. playing at home, the consistency of playing at home, you know, just with the roster as well, the injuries, the COVID. No COVID, year, yeah. You know, I, I don't see us um, ever being in a situation for the next little bit, having an opportunity to draft this high. And I think the opportunity to draft someone like Jalen Suggs, who 100% would have been the first overall pick last year, you know, above Edwards Lamelo Ball, that's a guy that I want on this team. That's a building block, especially when it comes to an aging point guard and Kyle Lowry, a point guard of Fred Van Vliet, who is a, a relatively decent point guard, but having a combination of Fred Van Vliet and Jalen Suggs in the backcourt, similar to what we have with Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, that's a future, and that's actually a blueprint to a future, and that's why I think we should keep Jalen Suggs. And Greg, you know, how about you? Would you go down? Five picks. Like, I get it. I get the value in guys like, you know, you just mentioned, but I also mentioned like John Kaminga, for example, even Davion Mitchell. For me right now, Jalen Suggs is a sure thing as you can get in a draft, especially selecting at four. And I think we'd be missing out on having a billing block in the future if we didn't take this guy, yeah. especially with Kyle Lowry coming yeah. out to that group. Yeah, unless like the Raptors know something about uh, some of these guys a few spots lower that we don't. I, I'm I'm inclined to to agree with Brandon that like this year, you know, you you fluke luck or it didn't it wasn't all fluke it was somewhat planned but you know the fact that there's there's four potentially number you know franchise players in in the draft you don't get that kind of thing falling into your lap all the time. Uh, 
I would be hesitant to trade down unless it was, I mean, unless there was an offer that just blew you away and you knew yeah. something about the guys lower down. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, Scotty, so that's the only, you know, there, there's some names out there. There's the Turkish league MVP as well. Davion Mitchell, you said as well, who's probably going to be a really good defensive player, but there's no one quite like Suggs. Like he could be the higher to this, to, to Kyle Lowry, right? Like he could be the next franchise setting point guard for us for the next how many years? He could be and... better than Kyle Lowry. You know, I mean, that's his upside. He could be one of the best point guards, if not the best point guard in the NBA. That's his value, you know, and that's why it's difficult for me to not select him at that position. Right? He looks like his, oh, he looks like the real you, deal. You said his floor was Dejounte Murray. What did you say his ceiling was again? John Wall with a jump shot. John Wall with a jump shot. So, the, like the best point guard in the league. See, Greg, do you feel the same? I, I, I don't know. I'm hesitant. I I, I want to agree with you because I think feel like we're going to draft him. But it's not um, just a skill set. You can't teach character. I know it's a very cheesy thing to say, but you can't teach character. And every situation yeah. this guy's been in through his entire career, he's handled himself like a professional no. above He's a his age, you know, and that's, and that's the kind of shit that I also kind of factor in the conversation. And I also feel like that's something that what makes players great is having that sort of mentality, something that a guy like Steph Curry and Day Lillard had coming out of the draft. You know what I mean? Just that sort of floor general leadership sort of mentality that makes players great. And he's clutch. Yeah. That, that ability to, to find someone who drives to be better no matter what, that's something that it seems like Suggs has. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, look, the Raptors player development is pretty renowned. This is not a guy who's going to go to the G League at all, in my opinion. He's going to be pretty much on the roster right away and, in my opinion, getting minutes right away as well. Probably, I mean, it depends obviously on what Kyle Lowry's situation is. But even if not, um, what does that mean for Malachi Flynn then? It means that Malachi Flynn is going to be playing combo guard position. He's going to have to work on his outside shot, and it's going to mean that Kyle Lowry is probably going to sign a one-year contract. And once Kyle Lowry is done, it's going to be the backcourt of Jalen Suggs and Jalen and Malachi Flynn with potentially Gary Trent Jr. and Fred VanVleet. Yeah, the modern NBA, you know, teams roll out three-point guard lineups. You can't have too many fucking uh, playmakers, man. Ball handlers. You know, yeah. But we need a big, don't we? Like, we, we do need a big. Uh, someone's going to eventually, like, we. it's great that we have four That's capable, why we got to go after John Collins. John Collins? I mean, if they win a championship this year, Greg, he's going to well, be pretty expensive, no? Well, they didn't, they didn't want to give him his money before, so he's going to hit free agency. Yeah, so, you, lose, we'll you lose Kyle Lowry and you sign John Collins and you have a starting five of Fred Van Vliet, you know, Jalen Suggs, OG Siakam, John Collins, that's with an, Malachi that's an awesome, Flynn coming off the bench, right? That's an awesome lineup. Yeah. And I guess the one thing about the Raptors, too, that we have to consider is the timeline, right? Like, they got Gary Trent Jr. for a reason, because of his age and yep. obviously yep. his capability and his skill. But it's because of his age. He fits that OG, even Siakam, Fred Van Vliet. They're all in there. Like, if they're all within the next, say, three to five years with the Raptors, Suggs is going to develop into a really, really good player with those guys around him. And we're going to be a good team still, like you said, Brandon. So, no, I think Suggs is the win here. I, I don't see why we would do anything else. But listening to Bobby Webster on, I forget which network it was. Uh, I work for Rogers, so we'll call it Sportsnet. Um, I'm pretty sure, like, it sounded like he was really open to trading this pick. I don't know why. That's why I keep asking all these questions about picks going up and going down. A lot of the teams uh, uh, the, in this year's draft, 
uh, have been open to this idea uh, to, I mean, they, they all, they will often say this, that, you know, if the right, I mean, just like no player is untradeable, you know, uh, if, you know, OKC said, Hey, Detroit, we're going to give you all of our picks. We're going to throw in like 10 of our picks, right? Cause we have like 20, you know, would you make that deal if you're Detroit? Maybe. Right. I mean, but, but again, what are the odds though that you land the, the, on a the, kid? The bigger thing you got to question, the biggest player in this draft, especially we're talking about moving up would be the OKC Thunder, man. They're kind of team that could pay, you know, um, 150 cents on the dollar to move up based on the draft capital they have. You know what I mean? That's the reason why they accumulate capital to get a guy, you know, like Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley. You know, I think they could be a massive player moving up, especially a team like even that three at Cleveland, who's very uncertain who they're going to so, like select. I could really see OKC moving up this draft. Yeah, OKC agreed. is going to be so good for the next couple of years. I mean, they just keep acquiring assets, and now they have Kemba. So good for yeah, OKC. Hold on, hold on. Now, now, I don't see how you can watch that draft and say that because they did all this, and this year was a big draft year for them. They wanted a top three pick. They have been losing on purpose to get a top three pick and they didn't get it. Well, you know, yeah, the they, they, they got it more the chances. Timberwolves who didn't even get a fucking pick because of the D'Angelo Russell trade. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm just saying that here's the thing with the draft capital, right? Like, you know, it's all based on luck. And I mean, we saw this with Boston too, right? Like Boston had this treasure trove of assets, but over time, you know, pick after pick just didn't work out. And, yeah, they still got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But, you know what? Brooklyn is back better than them. <laughs> right? Like, somehow. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So, uh, while I agree, Grab, I agree. Yeah, they're in a good they're in a good position um, uh, looking forward in terms of, of acquiring young talent. I mean, they already have young talent on their roster. And, like, what are they going to do with all these draft picks? Like at some point, maybe you put all your cards in and say, no, let's make a Godfather offer to get this number one. Like we just need a few guys to build around because they have already some pieces there, right? They have Lou Dort, they have Shea Gilgis Alexander, right? I mean, they, they can build Walker. off that. Kem yeah, Kemba Walker is there now. That's what I mean. Like, I think they are trying to, you know, they look, the 76ers, when they tanked with, with, um, with Hanky, it was like shameless tanking, right? That's why everyone hated it because the record was abysmal. They didn't care about winning. You can't say yeah. that about OKC. They still are Except having some, this year. they basically I, just reap the rewards of the Paul George trade, right? That's really all this is. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I, I can't they, blame someone. It's just, it sucks for them. They got what? Six, 16, 18, 34. 30. They've got so many picks in this draft. And Brad, in the end of the day, none of them are going to make the NBA. Like a lot of players Brad, aren't going to make. If you were Detroit, okay. And you got offered by OKC, their first round pick this year, the 16th overall pick by Boston this year, the Phoenix Suns pick in 2022. And then the Miami Heat pick in 2023, plus Dallas and Washington's seconds in 2023. Would you trade up? I would want another first if I'm if I'm Detroit. Like not like the number six pick this year. I mean, I would want like a future non-protected first round pick. Because again, OKC, we don't know what they're gonna be. This year, we just saw the Raptors who just had a kind of a shaky year due to COVID and all this and that. They jumped up all the way up to number four. So if well, you throw in the uh the the 2024 Houston Rockets top four protected pick. 
Sure. You know what? I heard 2024 is supposed to be a crazy year. So I'm, I'm, I mean, yes, I would. Honestly, if I'm Detroit, I, uh, as great as Cade Cunningham and everything like that is, I would, I would for sure. A hundred percent. All right. Let's move it. Uh, let's move it along quickly. Um, fuck man. I've, I've wanted to avoid this conversation. I've been thinking about this podcast and I'm like, I just don't want to talk about this, but I have to, I have to, I have to give him the floor. Craig, do you want to talk about Jason Kidd going to the I Milwaukee do. Bucks? <laughs> I oh, would like it. It's just and look and look. Hold on now, and I'm going to give you guys your flowers for you know y- you were on the Atlanta train from the start of the year. You saw the potential in the roster. Okay, so I'm going to give you that. Okay, but I should like to remind you that I have been pulling for my boy Jay Kidd to get back. On the co- in the coaching range, and I'm not talking about an assistant. Jay Kidd is not an assistant. He is a head coach in the NBA. Um, and now what you've got, right, it, I really think it's going to benefit Luca because, you know, with Carlisle, and you heard there was some tension, I'm not surprised because Carlisle, you know, he, he's very hands-on as a coach, and he's trying to run all these plays. That's why him and Rondo beefed, right? And, you know, Luca's the kind of player that, will just take over a game and will go based on feel. And I really think that Jason Kidd is somebody that can communicate with him and somebody who, who Luca's going to respect and has to listen to. Right. Like, like, you know, Carlisle played in the NBA. Yes. But he was a role player. Right. Like this is Jason Kidd. Now, this is one of the best point guards of all time. You got to listen to what he has to say. And he's going to be able to challenge Luca, I think, in a way that perhaps Carlisle didn't. And it's a perfect reunion. This is where he won his championship. Uh, hopefully, Jake has learned from his prior stops, right? Some of the mistakes that he has made. And I'm I'm really excited about this for the Mavericks. I I I think it's a great fit. I uh, okay, so I'm just going to start. I think that this hire is is the exact opposite of what you. Th- I don't think Jason Kidd has a coaching scheme. I think basically the the whole concept here is to let Luca do whatever he wants and be free. And Jason Kidd is the perfect coach for that because he can't really coach, and they'll just <laughs> hire him because he's a figurehead. And in the end of the day, really, you're trying to say, or you're trying to tell me that Luca Doncic shouldn't be listening to a Hall of Fame NBA championship coach and player like champion with Larry Bird over someone like Jason Kidd, who's been coaching for the last, what, like six years and like is known for spilling a drink on the court. Like really? That, that was the biggest boss move in the history of coaching. <laughs> when he did that, when he bumped That's into when his he player earned like your that. Respect, right? That's when he earned your respect that night right hey, there. Greg. I, I Jay, know he did. Jay Kidd, hey, d- you know, he's just got, he just reads the game. I loved him as a player, right? Like, he's just a step ahead of everyone in much the same way that Luca is. So I feel like they'd be able to communicate uh, on, on a certain wavelength because of that. But no, look, I, I, I understand your point. You know, why isn't he listening to Carlisle? I think some of those issues actually stem from the fact that Carlisle was so influenced by what was going on in the uh, with, with this, I forget the, the, it, it's the Greek last name. He, he's now out as uh, running the offense or running the, the quantitative management in the Mavericks uh, front office there. He was the guy that beefed with um, with uh, Donnie Nelson. Oh, Bob Vargolis? Yes. So you know who appara- that is, by the way? The, the betting guy. 
Bob yeah. Margulis, back in the day, was reputation was that he made millions and millions and millions of dollars because he was able to recognize specific coaching patterns. Which he I applaud of, him uh, for this, by the way. I know Brandon coach. doesn't like this, but I applaud him. So the guy, the, the guy that he, uh, the guy that he fucked over though, what was his name again? Uh, the former coach of the uh, the Wizards, um, Eddie Jordan. That's it. Yes, Eddie Jordan had these like very specific habits on the bench when he was coaching, and he just bet on those habits, made a shitload of money. Yeah, no, it, it's 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 a very interesting situation. You know, I I could see Jason Kidd really kind of you know being one of the few people in the league that could really get the ear of Luka Doncic, but also on the flip side of the coin, you know, Rick Carlisle has been has developed a reputation as being one of the greatest coaches in the NBA. And if Luka Doncic doesn't give him the respect or can't con- connect with him to win a championship, it's obviously an issue of Luka Doncic. On the flip side of the coin graph, I want to throw it to you. Pacers obviously had a really tumultuous year with Nick Bjorken. Um, you really, you know, <laughs> not, not the greatest head coach, but the greatest hire. You saw Nate McMillan did a fantastic job that team before. What Good are your thoughts on the Pacers getting Rick Carlisle? Do you think this is going to be make this team a contender, especially with the talent they have on their roster? Look, they're not. I, if you look at their roster, it's not the most talented. I mean, I, I I believe in them. Like I believe in players like Malcolm Brogdon. Like he, when you say someone like um like Suggs, I think of Brogdon right away, just simply because of his defensive you know abilities, tenacious. And then again, I really do like, I I, I do like Sabonis. I think he brings a lot to the table. And I think Miles Turner, when used in the right role, could be really good. TJ Warren, like they've got a number of players. Heck, even OJ Brichette did pretty oh, decent there. Um, and what's his Levert name from really Lavert? Yeah, Lavert. Exactly. So, no, I think their roster is. Um, uh, I don't know how to say it, but they're not a team that's obviously going to go far right now. But they're a team that's capable with Carlisle as their coach to actually make the playoffs and even get to the second round, in my opinion, because Carlisle is a difference maker, and I know that yeah. Indiana's had a pretty big. You know, but look, they just gave him seven plus million just to come there and coach. And he used to be the coach there. He has the history with Larry Bird when he was president. And I really just do think that Carlisle, look, he's someone that's pretty demanding. Look, we know that. I like how he beefed with Rondo. He seems to have left Dallas, though. Not just because of the whole thing. It seems like there was Jamal, I forget his name, the assistant coach for Dallas that was going to come in as well. Jamal Jamal Mosley, yeah. And there was a relationship there, and Carlisle kind of didn't like the relationship that he had with Luca, and it's speculated. It's one of the reasons why he left. Look, he's a, he's a demanding guy. And I, I think overall, the most surprising part of this is that he didn't get like a president of basketball operations title as well, because he's basically going to be that when he goes to the Pacers. He's going to be demanding. He's going to basically dictate what they do with the roster and with the team. And if players don't like the way, like, you know, his style of play, he, they don't have an excuse now in the Pacers. I think Reggie Miller said it best, but they just got rid of Nate McMillan, and these players all complained about it. And you know, basically, he got they got swept in the first round, and they fired him a week after and extending him. And now look at all the success he's having with Atlanta. So it's good the for players, him. It's not on the players anymore, right? Like now, Rick Carlisle is a non-excuse style coach. He's a Hall of Fame coach, a championship coach. He knows exactly his style of play. If the Pacers players here can't adapt to him, then it's on them. And I have, yeah, I, I do think that the Pacers are actually going to be a good team this year. It might take a little bit of time for them to sort of get the system down, but I think they have the perfect roster for it. Malcolm Brogdon, Karis Levert, Sabonis, these are all players that I think are 
I do think they're kind of winners and I do think they're all team oriented basketball players. So it will fit right into Carlisle's system. You know what this was, Brandon? This was restoring some level of respect to the head coaching position in Indiana for all the reasons that you guys mentioned, right? The firing of Nate McMillan, who then goes on to lead the Hawks to this um, but this unprecedented run, showing that he, you know, the problem wasn't him in the first place. You bring in this young, supposedly, uh, supposedly tactical, you know, uh, mind, a Nick Nurse type, and he ends up not having the people skills to relate to the players. It blows up in their face. So you go out and, and you actually get a respected name who could do both those things, right? Uh, in Rick Carla, it restores some dignity to that position because they, they they've been kind of the joke of the league now. Uh, over the past couple months. So there's one more hiring kind of want to discuss. So I'll give you to Greg first, and Graf, you can obviously chime in as well. Um, obviously, Brad Stevens became the GM of the Boston Celtics. His first decision was to hire a new head coach, which is former San Antonio Spurs, Greg Popovich's understudy, M.A. Aduka. What do you guys think of this, Greg? What are your What is your perspective of this signing? Do you think it's a, a, a lateral movement or... You know, like a definitely like a, a positive side of things to come for the Celtics. I um, think, yeah. you know, do you, do you think this is a good hiring overall? It well, you know, it's you're right to kind of question it because you know he's not a known entity to the average basketball fan. If you've been watching the NBA though for the past ten years, you've noticed this guy on various benches, right? Like from you know many years in San Antonio to Philly and then Brooklyn. Uh, he, so, you know, he's got that experience as a coach. He was a player and, Came you know, 35 mo- as a coach. Yeah. Like, but most importantly for Boston or not, maybe not most importantly, but something that was necessary, I think, uh, is that he wasn't white. Right. Um, and I think he'll, he'll, he'll be better able to relate to some of these players and maybe Brad, it seems like Brad Stevens, um, you know, the upstart group that he had when he made what when Boston, you know, with Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder, uh, Al Horford, he, the team transformed uh, under his tenure and he seemed less able to motivate them. And uh, I think this new coach is a better fit for that. And he has lots of coaching experience. So he, don't be surprised if his if, if, if they really hit the ground running with this guy. Uh, he he could be sneaky good because he's coached under some of the best coaches around. Um, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead, Gus. No, I I don't know much about. I mean, I know that he coached mainly on USA. That's the relationship that he has with Tatum, Smart, and Brown. Um, oh, really? I, I didn't even see. I didn't even know that. There you go. Yeah, and again. <laughs> you're right. Honestly, Greg, you're right. I don't want to bring, you know, the fact that he's Nigerian in the mix, but that's the most shocking thing that a Boston head coach right now oh, is but they from needed, Nigeria. No, but they needed to do that. Like, like I, uh, their, their candidates were, well, uh, him and I believe Chauncey Billups and the, and Ham from, uh, Milwaukee. Like, Irvin Ham, former Detroit Pistons swing man. There you go. Like, so they all there can't. And, and I think that was something done on purpose be, just because some of the, I mean, Boston has that history, right? Yeah. And I think Boston is almost with Jalen Brown, with smart, with Tatum, 
I mean, these are players that kind of need their freedom right now, especially with Brad Stevens step. He Brad Stevens is such a systematic and like stylistic. I think they're going to have the exact opposite of that. Right. Like, I think they're going to have a little bit more freedom than they're used yeah. to having um, in the past. And you're really going to get to see what these players and how creative they really are. Um, so I don't know for, as a, like an outsider uh, indifferent as a Boston fan, I, I would be, I mean, look, it's an interesting change. I, I'd be put it this way. I'm more interested in the fact that Brad Stevens is the GM um, than I am in this coaching hire. Cause I don't think the coaching change will be as different as the GM change will be in my opinion. All right, let's move it on. We got to talk about obviously the NBA playoffs before we get there. I want to give a big, big shout to someone. Big shout out to the 2021 NBA Executive of the Year, and that is James Jones, who I had so much like, like negative speculation about when he came in. I didn't really understand the hiring. I didn't think it was a smart fit. But lo and behold, the Phoenix Suns are playing in the Western Conference Finals, and I just want to give a shout out to James Jones for you know making assembling this roster and making them into an absolute beast in the Western Conference. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's... Go, go ahead, Graf. No, they're the, they're the. I mean, if they can beat, if they can beat the Clippers, they're the favorites in my. I mean, at least they're like I think in everyone who's is rooting for them, at least here in Canada, right? Like the Suns seemingly are that team. Um, everyone wants Devin Booker. Chris Paul is a great leader, like you said. That was the smartest thing is to bring in Chris Paul. We debated this at the beginning of the season. I remember. And we were talking about how much of a difference maker they could be. And we all said they've never actually had a point guard in the past. Like Ricky Rubio was okay, but he's not good enough. So all they needed was one, you know, veteran savvy point guard who just found a perfect role. And you're right, Brandon. James Jones has done literally exactly what they should have done. Um, I think years ago, I'm bringing in someone like Chris Paul. But again, of course, salary and restrictions did that. But no, no, I think that they are going to win against the Clippers. I just, even though the Clippers won and it's 2-1, I think they're going to win that series. And I think they're going to come into the next series against whoever, Atlanta, it doesn't matter. Um, I think they're going to win that, that series as well. Let's get to that right now. So LA Clippers, Phoenix Suns, currently the series at 2-1 from the Phoenix Suns. Clippers actually won last night. Massive game from Paul George. Also, Reggie Jackson's like transformed to Michael Jordan when it comes to crunch time, which is absolutely <laughs> fucking insane. But um, yeah, they're up two one right now. Obviously, Kawhi is going to come back relatively soon. I think he's going to come back for game four. No, that's guys. not. That's not. No, right now there is no update. Yeah, no update no. on Kawhi Leonard's status. All right. So obviously, the uh, even though the Clippers won, it seems is it a foregone conclusion to say the Phoenix Suns should most likely win the series in six without Kawhi. They, without Kawhi, the the Phoenix Suns are expected to win this series. With Kawhi, um, depending on when he comes back, but if you were to play all the games out again with Leonard, I, I think the Clippers would have been the favorite. But now with the lead that they have, like I, I think the Suns are going to win the next two games. With It depends. With Kawhi not playing, that's what I believe. If Kawhi's playing, which is looking doubtful, but if he does play, I think the series will go longer. And do you agree with the criticism on Kawhi for sitting up in the suite with his kid and his family as opposed to being on the bench? Uh, what, that, I mean, just from an optics perspective, not being with his team, all that kind of thing? That's, a, that, that's yeah, like on social media, yeah, afterwards, like, everyone's like, yeah. you know, why would he not sit with his team and blah, 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 blah. 
yeah, this is the superstar treatment that um, a lot of uh, of the Clippers, I think, last year had problems with. Right, that, that there seems to be a different set of rules uh, for for Leonard and George than there are for uh, all the other players. Uh, but you know, I mean, this is you see this with Kyrie too, right? Like for well, after he got injured, he was nowhere to be seen, wasn't on the bench. Um, you know, in the modern celebrity athlete era, players are taking more and more liberties, especially stars. Uh, but traditionally, yeah, you're hurt. You come and support your team. Like that's what I love about Lowry too. Like most of the time when he's not, you know, with the exception of this year when he sat out for bigger periods of time, when he's actually hurt, the guy is still in like his tracksuit and stuff. And he comes and he and he and he supports the team, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I mean I'm not surprised. This is what the deal was. The guy gets to use like a helicopter to come to practice. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right, guys. Any last comments on the series? Uh, just just quickly, I want to shout out Terrence Mann. Uh, I was gonna do it like on the last podcast, and then all of a sudden he went off for like forty plus points. But without Terrence Mann, they're not where they are. I mean, I know Reggie Jackson had the game, but Terrence Mann, second year player. This Last guy looks night, like yeah, he's actually, yeah, he looks unbelievable. He's he's basically taken all of Rondo's minutes, which means I like him ten times more. So it's even, <laughs> I mean, look for being in this situation, uh, he's like stepped up when Kawhi's gone. It's almost like he's turned into a whole other player now that Kawhi's out, and he wants to fill that void. But you don't see from young players that often. So second uh, rounders as well. <laughs> yeah. So yep. and 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 just you know one more comment about the series. How much must Chris Paul want to knock out the Clippers? Like, right, Balmer, right? Because when Balmer bought the team, that's when, like, he blew things up, right? And that's that's why Paul then requested the trade or tried to work out a trade with Houston. But it's because Balmer wanted to blow up the Lob City Clippers. The, how, like, And I'm pulling for Chris Paul. You know, everybody said he was done. James Harden says he was the problem in Houston, but really it was because Paul was calling out Harden for playing this weird brand of basketball, right? Uh, And I'm excited to see him get to the finals. I really am. All right, let's talk about the Hawks. And obviously we're talking the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, You know, just the the, the Atlanta Hawks are the team that I – I boldly and bravely pronounce as the NBA finalist for the Eastern Conference. Lo and fucking behold, they're up one nothing against the Milwaukee Bucks. Even well a promise. broken <laughs> clock is tw- is right twice a day, huh? <laughs> I said even a broken clock is right twice a day. I'm just messing with you. You're right. No, just like Denver, <laughs> just like Denver. Well, uh, Lena Hawks la- uh, Wednesday massive game for Trey Young. 48 points, 11 assists, 7 rebounds. Completely, completely destroyed the conversation of what was who was the winner of the big 2018 draft day trade of Luka Doncic. Um, Graf, man, what is your perspective of this series, man? I know you're a big Hawks guy, big Trey Young guy as well. They're up one nothing. Can the Bucks bring it back tonight? Do you see them winning the series? Yeah, and just to quickly go back, to that Doncic Hawks trade, is it just safe to say that it's a win-win trade at this point? Like, obviously, yes. I mean, even from the Suns, man, thank God no one drafted Marvin Bagley. That's the same. Yeah, right. I mean, fuck. Imagine you were Greg and you were toting Bagley the whole like Greg was the whole time. Like, I, look, what? obviously, Brandon and I were saying Doncic and Young. Greg was saying Bagley. We all remember it. So let's our loyal, on. our loyal listeners. Our loyal listeners know otherwise. 
Um, you're right. They're 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 still making fun of you for Jason Kidd and Tyron Lue takes. Um, hey, Tyron Lue is a subtle genius, and and come on, the, Ty- Tyron Lue. This proves he can coach. No, it absolutely does not. Oh my God! I, let's get, okay. Continue on. We're not opening up this can of worms right now. We're gonna have to save okay. this for next episode. Uh-huh. Can of worms. Let's you know what? They're that draft. You know who uh, Greg was a master <laughs> fan of. He was. He liked two setters in that draft. Two setters of small forward. He was a big Kevin Knox guy, massive Kevin Knox guy. But his guys were Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba. So you know, look what happened. I, this I is hated slander. This I hated is Wendell. slander. Absolute slander. <laughs> look, if you look at game one, right, with uh, like Trey Young kind of had to have the, the game of his life in order for them to to win. It was a really close game. Um, it seemed like whenever one team tried to go on a run of like six or more points, the other team just pulled right back, except for at the end of the game where Milwaukee seemingly was ahead by a ton and Atlanta had to fight back. Like it was. It was great. I, I just – I hate to say it, but I don't think Atlanta will be able to sustain that level of, of intensity throughout the entire series. I, I hate to say it. I, I really don't. I think Milwaukee is too overpowering. I think Giannis will sort of figure it out. And unless McMillan uh, – Nate McMillan, that is – can find some way to keep Giannis from you know doing what Giannis does, then I don't know if they have a chance to sustain this throughout the series. I just think Milwaukee was tired from facing Brooklyn. Mc, the the other McMillan graph you're returning to, like McMillan LLP. Lock, George McMillan, the famous Toronto <laughs> disco uh, ball maker. Hey, uh, so just can we please take a moment to recognize uh, that Mike Budenholzer refuses once again. I mean, I'm sure he will adapt, but this drop defense that they run throughout the regular season. You cannot run that with Trey Young. Like, this is a guy whose game is predicated on hitting threes and running to like, viewers. running floaters, running teardrops. Listen. So it, it, if, if you have Brooke Lopez dropping back five feet, enough time for Trey to shimmy, right? He has enough time for him to do a little shimmy and hit the three. Right or drop back so far that he could run into his little floater. Like you're just asking for trouble. I don't understand. Like you know, Bud has to adapt. You got to put Giannis at center or at least Portis at center and get higher up on those pick and rolls. Otherwise, it's going to be high pick and roll all day, man. And Lopez, look, he made his, uh, his presence known toward the end of the Brooklyn series. Brooklyn tried to do the same stuff to him, but Trey Young. And, and, and good for Trey Young. I actually, he's turned me into a fan um, just, you know, because he's got a toughness to him too that I really like. He's not afraid, right? He's got some grit to him. Uh, and, you know, but then when you hear him interviewed, humble guy, team first mentality, such a, such a nice young man. Eh? So, no, I, I mean, I love seeing what, what, what the Hawks are doing. I think the NBA is better when, when you have a good team in Hotlanta. That being said, the Hawks have no business in my mind beating the Bucks, and if the Bucks don't beat the Hawks, I think Bud still gets fired. Executive of the year, up there as well. You know, you think about that one year he came in, that first draft, getting Herder and Trey Young, just all the trades as well, and the Cam Ranch and the trade, getting Clint Capella, signing Bogdanovich and Gallinari. 
you know, the guy's done an exceptional job at that position, a team that's largely been the laughing stock of the Eastern Conference. So big shout out to Schlenk as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they, I mean, the roster is actually really strong, eh? Like, they don't, they don't even have Bogdanovich uh, playing. They don't have uh, a Hunter playing. Uh, and, uh, and, and, no, no, but I mean, he, he's been hurt. Like they're, So they're not even at full strength. Like, they, this is a good young core. Very they just strong got core. back as well. Like, you know, the team. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. But but no, I got Milwaukee. To me, Milwaukee is the strongest team left. Uh, but uh, it's going to be tight. I'd love to see a Phoenix Milwaukee finals, right? So I, let me just, I, I, before I have some two things. A, we are recording this um, today. What is the date? Um, it is twenty fifth. 25th of June. We most likely have the 26th, so don't scold us. We have no idea what's going to go down tonight. But before I leave you guys, I just want to make some random predictions about this playoffs. What are the two teams going to be in the NBA Finals? Milwaukee Milwaukee and the Suns. Yeah, I agree. And who do you guys win it? The Suns. Milwaukee. In? No, DeAndre Ayton is better than you think. Bucks in six in the NBA Finals. Robin Lopez, but, sneaky good defender. You never know. Oh, Brandon, that how, be, about you, how about yeah, you, Brandon? Yeah. What are your predictions? Um, I'm going Atlanta Hawks. I'm going to go Phoenix Suns in seven. I think it's going to be an unreal series between the Hawks and Suns. That would be, that would would love, be the best I, scenario. Yeah. I, in terms of, of, of enjoyable basketball, so I don't have to yeah. watch the, the Bucks offense anymore. Yeah. But but I mean I I would just love to see Chris Paul get a championship. I would love Last that. Thing I think I, I want to bas- discuss yeah. really briefly, yeah. really briefly, just the the reestablishing. It's something we should probably do in another podcast, maybe in the off season. But reestablishing the hierarchy, pecking order of the best players in the NBA, because I've never seen a season where that narrative has been flipped upside down, especially with you know the the play of like guys like Donovan Mitchell. Tr- Devin Booker, you know what I mean? I think the conversation of who is the best player in the NBA has drastically changed this year, and I think it's something we should kind of discuss in detail. I, I, hey, my big three remains the same. I said it a couple pods ago. Chris it's LeBron, Boucher, Chris Boucher, Chris Boucher. Yes, <laughs> it, it, it's LeBron. Then it, um, then it's Brand. KD. Then it is Kawhi Leonard, and then we start getting into the Giannis and Luca territory. Those are my top five players right now. Steph Curry is upset with you. Steph oh, Curry is not right now in my <laughs> top five. Well, hold on. Giannis wins a championship this year. He's moving up. He will move up. But but the way that Durant played in the playoffs, you can't put him down, and not and you can't put Kawhi Leonard down either. You really can't. Like Kawhi, if if Kawhi won this year, you 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 could move him right up to number one. Like the way he was yeah, playing he, in he the playoffs, was unreal. If if the if the Clippers win this year without Kawhi, you're not moving Kawhi anywhere. You're moving him down. No, no, I mean, no but they're not. I, I mean, if he had led the Clippers to a championship, you probably have to put him as the as the best player in basketball. Who would you rather have on your team, James Harden or Devin Booker? Uh, building James into the Harden, future, or just okay. for one game? Toronto building Rapids, into the next season. James Harden, one one season, James Harden. Yeah, for a season, James Harden. For yeah. multiple years, Career, Devin Booker. I'm going Devin yeah. Booker. 
I'm going Devin Booker, guys. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. You can catch our podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio app, Apple Podcast app, etc., etc., etc. Thank you very much for tuning in. Fucking Jalen Suggs, boys. Peace out, T-Dot. Peace out. Yeah, it was a good one. Hey, I got yeah. a phone call here. What? Yeah. I'm getting a phone call. All right, see you guys. All right, see you later. Bye.